Good morning. My name is Ryan Tu. I'm the missions minister here at First McKinney. And what that means is that I get to organize our missions, administrate our missions, get all things missions going. And we do that locally, we do that internationally. And summertime is really mission trip time for us as a church. We get to go out, our youth goes out, our young adults go out. Uh, we have a lot of trips that we've been doing. I encourage you guys to get plugged in. It's not too late. But uh, just two weeks ago, we got to get out one of our first trips. And so if you saw, and we have some pictures of this, if you saw this in the parking lot over the last month or two, we got to, in partnership with Buckner International, they do a lot of orphan care and family development, and we got to build a house in our parking lot right behind the children's building. And what we got to do is just do the frame. We got to do the frame here, and moms and dads and children, we all got to be a part of it. We got to write verses on it, we got to pray over it, and really what it does is it puts together like Legos. So we put it together here, and then we got to break down that frame and take it down to South Texas, near the border, a town called Penitas, Texas. And so we got to go down uh, two weeks ago. We broke it down, and we built the frame back up. And then as we moved forward, there was a group of 10 of us who got to put on the siding and the shingles. And you can see the family here uh, that we got to take a photo with and give them gifts from the children's ministry, uh, quilts with verses on them, and a painting for them, just housewarming gifts. And so there's another church in partnership with us who's going to go down and do like kind of the, the plumbing and electrical and all that kind of stuff. Well, this house was going to get built one way or another. And there was nothing going to get in the way of that house, including myself. And so nothing was going to stop that house from being built. There was a greater force than me that was going to get that house built. And their names were Dale and Dave. And Dale and Dave were our team leads. And they made sure this thing happened. They know what they're doing. I, I don't. I just got to go be a part of it. And this gentleman named Miguel, who's a local there, uh, goes to the church of the family that we got to bless. And he really helped out. He was kind of like uh, Jesus the carpenter in the flesh. He killed it and really made this thing happen. Again, nothing was going to get in the way of this house being built, including myself. And trust me, I tried. I tried it by doing. I tried it by helping. I tried it by actually doing the work, but that ended up like dropping screws and, and uh, misplacing wood and doing the wrong measurement, and they were super gracious with me and um, all those kind of things as we put together the house. Well, then I tried it the other way. Well, what if I just don't do anything, and maybe that will prevent things from happening, so I encourage more water breaks and, and what they were calling not working, I call ministry, which is talking to people and sharing with the family. Anything I was doing, maybe some contributed to the house, but again, it really didn't matter what I was doing, that house was going to get built. There were people greater than I in charge who really knew what they were doing. And so as we dive back into Romans, we're going to have this question at hand. Is there something that could separate you from the love of God? Is there something that could cease his work in you and its completion? And so as we look at Romans 8, 31 to 39 today, by the way, that's about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. If you want to start going there, if you aren't familiar with the text, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. I just want to say that as just about all sermons should be, it should be an encouragement. The gospel is encouraging. This should be an encouragement as always. And Dr. Steve Lawson, pastor in Dallas, says this. These verses are the strongest argument to be found anywhere in Scripture that we as believers in Jesus Christ will never lose our salvation. We are entering into a very great text. 
this text, as Sam has highlighted, the, the Bible, the greatest book ever written, and then Romans within that, this great theological treatise, this giant of a book, thick in theology. And then you get to Romans 8, this kind of pinnacle of the book, and then these verses are what you could call the summit. So, let's read. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we will read out of Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. I want us to notice the motif here. Three times, verses 35, 37, 39, the motif of God's love. That is the focus here. And then comes its challenges. What can come against it? So that is why today the main point we'll be addressing here is that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. For those who are in Christ Jesus, nothing. Nothing. And specifically in these verses... We'll see that no person can separate you from the love of God. We'll see that no place can separate you from the love of God. We'll see that no thing can separate you from the love of God. So first, let's look at verses 31 through 36. That no person shall separate you from the love of God. Paul starts by saying this, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what are these things? What are we even talking about? A lot of people say you can look at Romans 1 through 8, verse 30, everything leading up to this. That's, that's these things. That's what we're talking about. Some scholars would say, well, let's just look at the immediate verses preceding this. Specifically, Romans 8, 28 to 30. Reads this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Many call this the golden chain. This is an unbreakable chain that God has ordained as you see this language. It's put in the past tense. It is already done. Justified, yes, many of us. Glorified, 
You may not feel it, but it's true. And it's coming. That's how God sees you. That's how he sees the forgiven. That's how he sees his chosen. That through Jesus, it is through the lens of the life of Christ that he sees you. Perfect. No shame. So then again, what do we say to these things? I've heard it put that either God is so sovereign over all or he is not sovereign at all. Let me say that again. Either God is sovereign over all or he is not sovereign at all. Those verses we just read, he's in charge. He is sovereign. So what do we say to these things? I heard one pastor say, we say nothing. We're good to go. We could just stop right here. But then Paul, as eloquently as he writes, he is giving us a foundation. He's giving us a base camp to start summiting the mountain, this great mountain of truth, this ladder of revelation. We're about to embark on truths that have yet been revealed to the Romans in the letter yet. And so this is our base camp, God's sovereignty, his choice, his work, his glory gifted to you for those in Christ Jesus. So, if God is sovereign over all, could he or would he separate us from himself? So back to verse 31, leading in from this foundation of truth. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Some translate this as since, since God is for us. Not so much asking the question, maybe, no, he knows. Since God is for us, who can be against us? And the quick answer from Paul is no. He gives reasoning in what they call a very Jewish-style greater to lesser argument. And we'll see that. He says, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also give with him graciously? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the gospel. Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for the sinner. He died for you. He died for me. He took on the penalty of sin. He took on that death. He lived the life we couldn't. He was raised to life. Now with the Father, giving us hope in his glory. And this language should look a little familiar. He who did not spare his own son. Genesis 22, this is the same language when God tests Abraham, the father of Israel. The one that God chooses, he then tests. And he tells him, take your son Isaac, yes, the one that I promised you that you had to wait and wait and wait for, the one who this seeming promise is actually going to have to move forward with. He tells him to go sacrifice his son. And Abraham is obedient, obedient up until God shows up. And God stops it. God gets in his way. God says, I will provide for you. And he chooses him a ram. He brings him a sacrifice. He sees that Abraham had the faith in God, and God provided for him. So then, what are all these things that God could just graciously give us? If he can give us his own son, if he can die for us, then why would he not just give us everything else? How easy is that for him? For most of us, the most valuable thing, I'm talking just sheer money for us, is our house. Now, the bank may own a majority of it, but it's the most valuable thing you own. 
And if I could give you my house, if I could give you the, the, the most valuable thing that I have from a money standpoint, if you come in and you just want a Nutri-Grain bar out of the fridge, I don't care. If you want to go use the grill that I don't, go for it. If you want to go sit in our hammock when the, when the weather's beautiful, do it. If you want to go get on my couch and watch your cowboys, like, just go for it. You can do any of those things because it's, why would I care? I gave you the house. That thing's, you know, it's a lot of money. Any house is. And all those little things in it are just pale in comparison. Well, does this mean that God's going to give us a bunch of material things? No. What this means is that he will give you the spiritual blessing. That if he has gone through hell and back, if he has died for you, if he has rescued you, if he has given his life for you, what are all these other things? What are all these trials? What are all these things that we're about to read about to him? He's freed you from sin and death. That's the greatest miracle. He has raised you from the dead. Every time a child of God comes to God in faith, that's the miracle. So whatever happens, you have deliverance through it. Even to the end, you're still with him. This is the blessing. These are the things that he can graciously give us. These are all things. So, will God separate himself from us? No. It was his joy to save you through his son, and now that joy is ours. So God won't. Can anyone else? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Again, back to the sovereignty of God here. He chose you. It is God who justifies for if you are in Christ Jesus, think about this. If you are in Christ Jesus, despite your total depravity, all of your sin, God elected you based on nothing. It was his unconditional choice for you. And by the saving and atoning work of Jesus on the cross, he then gives us this irresistible grace, lavishes it upon us, and this is his promise, that the saints will persevere all the way to the bitter end. God will hold his children. So again, this language, who's going to bring a charge against us? We're back in the courtroom. We've seen this in the first half of Romans. We've seen this justification legal language over and over and over again. So who's going to bring the charges? Well, it must be your adversary. Who is your adversary? Hebrew word Satan, the Satan, the accuser, your adversary. Last week, Chris, our executive pastor, told us that when he was a kid, he got to sit up here. When I was a kid, I got to sit up there in my church. And we would go to church Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. And there was one specific Sunday night when Dr. Ralph Smith, he was there for 20 or 30 years, faithful man of God, preaching the word of God, and I was not in the pews. I was in the hallway running around with the other five and ten-year-olds having fun, goofing off. And we had those speakers in the ceiling that, you know, he's projecting the sermon all throughout the building. And I thought it might be funny, and I think I can say this from stage, with all my little friends around, just to look at that speaker and just go, shut up. And, man, we scattered like roaches when the lights come on. We just freaked out and just started running away. Well, you know, we keep playing and nothing's happening. And then about 10 minutes later, my mom enters the room. 
But those eyes, you know those eyes. Grabs me by the arm, drags me down the hallway, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I'm about to go face the head pastor of our church. Well, it turns out, we, we come down the hallway and she brings me in front of this woman that I've only seen like once or twice in my life. And she says, Ryan, do you have something you would like to say to Mary? And I'm looking at her thinking, no, do you? <laughs> turns out the kitchen... And she was the manager of the kitchen because they did Sunday night meal. So she managed the kitchen, and that little speaker was right around the door. So everyone thinks that I told sweet Mary to shut up. And now, don't get me wrong, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. But when I realized, oh, I, yes, I will tell her I'm sorry, because I'm not going to tell you who I actually told to hush his mouth. I got away scot-free in a way. But trust me, stories like these show up when you get married, my wife married into the family, and I'm having to tell her, like, these are false accusations against me. Like, let me tell you what actually happened. I would not do that to that sweet woman, just the head pastor. So, <laughs> here's the downside of this thing. You have an accuser. Revelation 12.10 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. But look at this. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. This is a future look at what will happen to the Satan, to the enemy, to the devil. But as some see this, in comparison with the story that we see in Job, where Satan brings accusations against Job, it looks like he's hurling insults and accusations at God about us all the day long. And I think a lot of us hear them. I think you hear them and they sound like this. Yeah, they're right. You're not smart enough. You are not gifted enough. You are a horrible mother. You're a rotten father. You won't live up to those things. You are a liar. Those things in your past, that's what identifies you. That's what an accuser sounds like. That's what a slanderer sounds like. Because he wants nothing more than to discourage you and discourage Christ's church from doing the work of Christ and to expand his kingdom. This is his desire. As Jesus told Peter, he wants to sift you like wheat. So what is God's answer? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. And then, if God will not, and his adversary cannot, well, what about Jesus? Paul leads in verse 34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Could Christ separate us? No. He died for you. This is victory. This condemnation, it's been put on Christ, not on you. If you were in Christ, all of that wiped away. 
put on Jesus, bearing the scars into eternity for you. Because Christ is the one who died, verse 34. More than that, he was raised. Being raised from the dead, this means that payment accepted. Christ paid the penalty for your sin, for my sin, and God blessed him and raised him. And that means that it is accepted. It's been wiped away. Your account brought to zero, back to equal standing, and then he lavishes inside of that. There's four things you can see here. Christ died, he was raised, and now, now he's sitting at the right hand of God, the creator of the universe, the one who sees every single day of your life, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who knows you more intimately than you know yourself. And he's interceding. Just as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit interceding in our prayers, bringing those to our Hebrews 7 and 8 great high priest, Jesus, interceding on our behalf. Again, the lens that the Lord sees his saved children through is the life of Jesus, is the status of Jesus. This is why Romans calls us heirs with him. It calls us adopted brothers and sisters with him. That's our new status. So God won't separate us. Jesus won't separate us. Satan can't. So what about others? What about those in this world? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So many of these are brought at us from other people. Tribulation here, afflicted pressures. Someone bringing them to us. Distress can be associated with calamity. This is often by others in the world. And persecution, certainly. The church will be hated. The church will be attacked. Ask our brothers and sisters around the world. We hear stories all the time about this. How about famine and nakedness? Thinking hunger, poverty, loss. Sometimes these things happen despite the fact that we're being good. Despite the fact that we're being obedient. Paul, you want to talk about obedience, sacrifice? And in 2 Corinthians 11, he just lists out pretty much all these things except for the sword. He's experienced them all. And he was faithful. If you were in prayer, if you were in the word of God, you're in fellowship with the Spirit and Jesus Christ and you bring all glory to God and you work hard as an employee, as a parent, often things will go well. Those are the Proverbs. Hard work usually pays off, but not always. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes things are brought at you. Sometimes, just like Paul, those negative things still come. And then as the Garcias faithfully testified to, then we start to question is this retribution? Is this because of a way that I lived? Is this because of something I've done? God, why have you done this? Why are you distant from me? Do you still love me? You can see the snowball effect here. That just because a trial comes to your life does not mean God does not love you. Think about that test he gave Abraham. And then the sword. This is how Paul's life ended by the sword, losing his head. Maybe he knew what was to come. And so then he's thinking on the people he's writing to, you, himself, and then the nation of Israel. 
He quotes out of Psalm 44 in verse 36. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The psalmist here makes a very bold claim. In verse 17 of Psalm 44, he says, All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed your way. He's saying, we're without the sin here. What's going on? Because for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But then in the final verse, again, this motif of love, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. They're looking for God to save them, for God to get them out. Because in verse 22 of Psalm 44, which is 36 for us, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Regard the sheep for the slaughter. This is for the sake of God. As one commentator says, we are not exempt from suffering or even being killed. And Paul knew that. Paul could see what was coming. And so nothing can separate you from the love of God. No person can separate you from the love of God. No accuser, no act by others. So is there a place that can separate you from the love of God if you are in Christ Jesus? Let's fast forward to verse 39. Paul brings up two places, nor height, nor depth. No, this is not like a geolocation type place. Not necessarily. It's not like Texas. It's not a specific place you can name. However, as, as we have talked about in here, we're so glad that we have new people moving to Texas all the time. People from California and Colorado, I meet them all the time. Our neighborhood, there's new people coming in. And I want to welcome them to God's country. <laughs> to kind of like, if, if heaven's varsity, this is like JV. This is where God gets you ready. This is maybe your last stop, and then he'll, he'll welcome you home. There's a lot of good edification that happens in Texas. But again, is there a place you can go that would separate you from the love of God? Well, as he talks about height, height here. The ancient Near East mindset when it comes to sun, moon, and stars, they saw these as gods, they saw these as spiritual beings, they saw these as those competing against each other and ruling the nations. So he's telling these people in Rome, these first century Roman Christians, Jews and Gentiles, none of those things can get in the way. None of those celestials can get in the way of God's love. But something that I think hits home for us is the other word, depth. The Greek here, bathos, means it's the lowest place. And assuredly, Paul is referencing hell. Can hell separate you if you're in Christ Jesus? We walk in this all the time. Use the words depression and anxiety. It's like a pin drops. Talk about a rampant issue throughout our nation. Many of us have food on the table. Many of us have jobs. That's not necessarily struggle. It's the fact that maybe we feel isolated. Maybe the fact that there's just been issues in our life. Maybe the fact that we've internalized so much and we're getting fed so much information from all these places and we're not stewing and steeping in the word of God and hearing his promises, what he says about us as children of God. We're listening to the accuser. We're listening to the accusers that he sends to us. And our brains are being warped about this message coming at us. But here's the deal. When Jesus references 
the lost sheep parables. He doesn't lose four and get three. There's always one, and he goes and gets them and brings them back to the hundred. He is 100% all the time. You will miss the mark, but Jesus never does. He will rescue you. He will bring you home, even if you wander astray. I have sat in front of young men talking and thinking through what Romans has to say, struggling, crying with one another because of what Paul says in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, as he thinks on his own sin. When our discipleship group read this through uh, just a few weeks ago, sitting in my office reading Romans 8 and just overwhelmed with the love of God, a week when things were just stale, wasn't feeling it, and praise God for Romans 8, because Romans 7.24 is how I was feeling, wretched man that I am. But here's the deal. If you think there's something you can do to lose your salvation, you think way too highly of yourself and way too little of God. Let me say that again. If you think there's something you can do to lose your salvation, if you have faith in Jesus Christ and he has sealed you, bought you, redeemed you, adopted you, if you think there's something you can do to separate that, you think way too highly of yourself and way too little of God. He is sovereign over all. He elected you. He chose you. He foreknew you. And praise God. Praise God is not up to us. We are weak, and our weakness, praise God, cannot separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No person, verses 31 through 36, no place, as we just looked at in verse 39. So is there anything? I would say there's no thing that can separate you. Verses 37 through 39 read this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. We are conquerors. You are conquerors, but not by your own strength because he says it immediately, through him who loved us. Again, the motif of God's love here. It is his love that wins. It is his love that saves. It is his love that rescues and is victorious. And he does this in his sovereignty. These things have been vanquished in your life. They have been defeated, like going out into battle. And as you enter into these trials, as these things come at you, as you are challenged in your mind, in your heart, and you wonder if that loss of job, if that disease if that argument, if that relationship, whatever it is going on in your life, that sin, if you're in Christ Jesus, you will endure because he endured. This is his promise to the saints. And Paul is so sure of this that the way that he even writes this, verse 38, for I am sure. Here in the Greek, this is a perfect tense, meaning it's unshakable. This isn't, I'm betting based on what I've seen, or I think, or there's evidence of this. No. This is, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. Unshakably, I'm sure that neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. Death. Satan just dangles that punishment over us. Some afraid of it. But 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. To see him face to face. You do not have to fear death. Here's the crazy part. Sometimes life seems like the harder part. Seems like the harder way through. Because it calls us to endure. Because things are difficult. Because you actually have to steep in it. You have to sit through it. You have to walk through it. You go days and days and months and sometimes years through that trial. Through a distant relationship with parents. Through a wayward son or daughter. Through your own chemical imbalances that are making you struggle. And question everything you believe. And then Paul says, nor angels, nor rulers. There's so much going on behind the scenes that we're unaware of. If we peel back the curtain and the spiritual warfare that's going on, and how they influence the nations, how they influence the people around us, whether that's your workplace or your government, whatever that is, that Paul says, this is not going to get in the way. Nor things present, nor things future. Nor things to come. Think about the past two years. Think about where we're at now because of the past few years. Inflation, disease, war, and then drilling all the way down to your own personal loss and struggles, frustrations, anger. There's nothing that you can imagine, even like he says, nor powers. This is where we get the word dynamite. Nothing will explode everything in your life and destroy it and rip it apart. Nothing that you could imagine if you're a warrior if you have anxiety about what could be, what if, none of those things can separate you from the love of God. And again, this mountain of truth, Paul has now summited. He's standing at the top of the mountain, looking across the clouds, looking across the other peaks, and he says this, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our our Lord. Again, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have given faith to Jesus. There's nothing that can come. There's nothing that's happened in your past. There's no ruler. There's no economic issue. There's nothing that can blow up in your life that can separate you from the love of God. And don't think that those things happening in your life mean that he's just mad at you and that he is saying, I don't love you. That's what the accuser says. So do you have assurance against the accuser? When it comes, do you have assurance that it's not true? Are you building a house that will not fail? Let me ask you this. Are you separated now from the love of God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus says this in John 10, 27 to 28. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. And I know them. And then he goes on to say, and nothing, nothing will snatch them from my hand. That's assurance. That those who hear the voice of God, you know how you hear it? Right here, the word of God. We've just read these verses that tell you, if you're in Christ Jesus, nothing separates. No fear, no death. Even if you die, that's the game that you get to be with Jesus. So who's going to bring charges? Who can accuse when every person, place, and thing comes at you? This is your response. No. 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And that's joy. That's encouragement. That's the gospel. It's impenetrable, unshakable, perfect, the golden chain, God's sovereign will coming into play. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't followed Jesus, do not leave here today without doing so. He is the good shepherd. He's a good father. He's gentle. He's not about condemnation for you. He already did that. He took on the sin. Just rest in him. He gives peace and security and love. Oh, the love of God. Ask, for it. Ask him for it right now. When we pray in a second. We'll be out these doors to my right and your left. Just come. Come talk to us. And if you are in Christ Jesus... When Tuesday comes, when Thursday comes, when next year comes, and that trial comes, do not forget this. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing in all creation. You get to stand on the summit of the mountain of truth and say, this is what I know, this is what I believe. And because of that, as it fills you up, as you spend time in his word, you get to go share that with others. Tell your coworker who is struggling. Tell your neighbor who is struggling. Tell your brothers and sisters who are struggling. Tell your child for the 27th time who's struggling that Jesus loves them and nothing can separate those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you because you loved us first. Jesus, you saw these days, you knew these days, you came down knowing what would happen, that you would live the life we couldn't. You would die and pay the penalty we couldn't afford. And you were raised to life, now seated at the right hand of God on our behalf. And we get to worship you. We get to glorify you. We get to rest because it is finished. It's not our work. And now we just get to obey out of love. We get to obey out of joy. We get to obey get to obey because we want to. We want to because we love you. Because you loved us first. Thank you, God. I pray for your spirit. I pray for your work at Extreme Camp. I pray for your work here. I pray that you carry that out this week and into the summer as our trips go out, as we share the gospel, as we bless people. In your name, do your work to your glory. All this in Jesus' name. Amen.